The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive with Dr. Rebecca Risk. Do you ever feel that even though nothing seems seriously wrong and you pass all the medical tests, that you still feel that your health, pain, and fatigue are completely out of control? It doesn't have to be that way. Listen to the tips and suggestions given on our program today and take back control of your health. Now, here is Dr. Rebecca Risk. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. I'm your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. And uh, today we're going to um, actually talk about animal health. If you follow me on social media, you know that my weekly co-host is actually my dog, Oliver. He sits on my lap for every recording and he, he's kind of involved <laughs> in his own way, telling me kind of what's going on and, and where, well, not that involved, but he's, he's there listening. And uh, I realized that since we talk about human health, it's also important to talk about the health of our four-legged friends. So Oliver's favorite vet who helped him become the healthy little guy he is today is joining me for the show and she opened my eyes um, to all the options that we have for, for these guys. They're so much a big part of our lives. Dr. Wanda Vakaroth graduated from the Western College of Veterinary Medicine in 1982. Welcome to the show, Dr. Wanda. Thank you. Um, so I guess, uh, you know, the first question is just to know a little bit about you and, and what made you decide to become a veterinarian? Well, I actually had a love for animals ever since I can remember. And um, uh, as a youngster, I, we lived on a farm and I had um, all sorts of animals, especially, you know, cows and uh, uh, one or two dogs and a number of cats that, you know, lived in the farm. And I actually sort of took it on to myself to um, be their caretaker. And, you know, if they were sick, I'd be... Uh, going to my my parents and, you know, saying, what can we do? And sometimes even helping my dad give injections and things like that. So it just kind of evolved from there. Um, so what made you start to incorporate the holistic stuff? I mean, you actually got involved quite early on um, when I probably a lot of people weren't doing, you know, animal acupuncture and stuff like that. So what drew you to that? Um. I- Originally, probably the first thing was uh, a client that I had um, uh, probably a couple of years after I graduated from vet school um, who uh, had a dog with um, some very bad arthritis. And um, what we could do was offer, uh, from a a conventional basis, was offer just medications and things like that, you know, um, anti-inflammatories and so forth. And at that time, they weren't as sophisticated as they are now, and and her, her dog just could not handle them. They all made him very sick. So uh, at one of the visits, she asked if it would be okay if she consulted her um, homeopath and see if the dog would improve. Could, could, you know, they could find something, and I had no idea, but it sounded safe when I read up about it. So um, she went ahead, and then uh, a couple of months later, the dog ran up the stairs of the vet clinic, and that made me kind of think there's something here else I need to learn. 
And, um, yeah, I guess that was my first interest. And then after that, just going to conferences um, where they offered uh, seminars on acupuncture for pets and so forth. And um, that really caught my interest. And after that, off I went to a course. Um, you know, I think that's how all of us kind of get involved in this kind of thing. We're, you know, th- kind of thrown into it or somehow it comes on our way and we find it really interesting. And I like the the fact that there's other options. I mean, I want other options for myself. And uh, my assistant said to me today that until I had mentioned it to her, she didn't realize that our animals had other options either. So, exactly. um yeah, it's nice. It's nice that there are people that do that. So, how exactly do you choose what to do for these guys? I mean, they can't really tell you what's going on. So, what do you? How do you figure that out for them? Uh, sometimes it's pretty obvious when an animal comes in. If you know, for instance, they have um, uh, you know a chronic arthritis or something like that, then it's going to be you know there's there's certain options to use for that. Or if they just say um, slipped on the ice and. And, you know, it's a very acute problem when they just um, have, you know, uh, say their, their neck is sore or something like that, then, you know, uh, at that point it's um, easy to, fairly easy to see that um, they need some kind of manual therapy, some, you know, osteopathic therapy or something like that. Um, and otherwise, then sometimes it's just there are a number of options available and, and that should be useful. And just um, from experience and then discussing with the pet's owner which what things they would like to to work with we uh decide from there what 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 to use so um what exactly what what things do you do that's different than what other um veterinarians do well i um uh offer a number of therapies um that are considered um alternatives they aren't you know normally used by uh, or normally uh I guess used by vets, or they aren't vets. The conventional vets aren't trained for these things unless they go seeking for them. Um, so things like um, acupuncture, and then some manual therapies like osteopathic and craniosacral therapy, and then uh, uh, herbs, both Chinese herbs and uh, Western herbs. Um, and then I also use homeopathy. And um, uh, really, I, I spend a lot of time talking about uh, diets with with uh, the pets owners. Um, so, th- I mean, that's interesting because I don't think a lot of people think about that. Um, you know, when I first came to see you, I was um, giving my, I didn't have Oliver at the time, I was giving my cats a, a formula from that I was getting from the vet, but you pointed out that it had gluten in it. And when I switched over, my cat had a significant change in her health. And I, I don't think we think about that kind of thing. You know, we're all sensitive to some of these things, and we don't realize, you know, the animal's food has these issues too. Mm-hmm. And, and it turns out that um, a lot of animals have dietary sensitivities, um, it, just like you said, just the way people do, um, many more so than, uh, would, you know, you'd normally suspect and many more than I originally thought of. But it's, it's actually quite a common thing. So probably as common as as people are. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, do you recommend like the raw food for animals if they can tolerate it? Uh, that is actually um, one of the things that a lot of my clients um, go forward with. Uh, yes, I do actually. It, it, it really depends on the pet and their stage of life and so forth. But 
um, uh, definitely either raw diets or homemade, sometimes cooked diets, um, uh, are often, um, well, first off, much more palatable for pets, but also in the long run, um, a lot of them uh, very obviously do better on them once they've um, had, you know, started with their owners have started them on on them for a while. Um, you just notice changes in in um, uh, stool quality and coat and energy and um, all sorts of things, actually. That's pretty interesting. I suppose that's what they're supposed to eat. I mean, I, I think when my cat catches a mouse, she certainly doesn't cook it first. Yep. So. That's exactly right. Or, or run it through a processing machine. <laughs> yeah, and then put some corn and some wheat in there with it, exactly. right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I what... I mean, you mentioned you've seen some changes in their coat. So when you're doing all these different things, um, you know, before you did these things, I think you had about 10 years in between um, just doing regular veterinary and then doing these different things. Did you notice a lot of changes? I did, actually. And um, that's one of the things that convinced me. I actually um, hadn't thought about using non-processed diets until uh, after talking to vets, some of the courses I was doing for acupuncture and so forth, and they just said that, well, that's one of the things that we routinely um, recommend for our clients. And so um, when I, you know, did a little bit of uh, reading on, on that sort of thing, I thought, well, it's worth a try. And so some pets, for instance, that had, uh, you know, serious chronic digestive issues and none of the uh, commercial foods, even the prescription diet, seemed to help them out. I thought, well, you know, why not try this? And I would see them literally improve in a week um, where none of the other diets seemed to do any any or help them at all. So that was what convinced me to start with. And now um, over time and at this point, I've probably been um, recommending these kind of diets for probably nearly, well, probably almost 20 years now. But um, it's, uh, yeah, I see uh, over and over such change, you know, such improvements in the pets that I'm firmly convinced that feeding a more uh, natural diets um, do help them. Um, well, you know, it makes sense. That's where, you know, when I'm treating people, that's where I start is with their mm-hmm. diet. And then you see what changes and maybe you have to do more, but maybe half the symptoms go away. So it's uh, important. Yeah. Um, now, along with changing the food, though, do animals need things like probiotics like we do? Um, some uh, definitely do. Um, some can get away without them. But I always kind of uh, sort of uh, t- talk to people about looking back at how, you know, animals, as you, you were saying, in the wild, how they would normally or what they would normally eat. And, you know, even uh, cats and dogs, both their, um, you know, predecessors, would catch their prey and they would eat pretty much all of it, including the stomach and, and intestinal tract. And th- those actually, uh, you know, the, uh, mice and rabbits and so forth, um, when they, they uh, eat, well, what they're eating is veggies, but they're digesting them down. So they're, you know, broken right down, but animals are eating a little bit of that. But they're also getting the enzymes from the stomach and the intestines and also the probiotics that are formed. So that's part of their natural diet. Um, so um, I do see a number of animals do a, quite a lot better um, as far as their digestion, for sure, um, if, they're, if they are given probiotics on a regular basis. And, and you said digestive enzymes as well. Uh, yeah, and, you know, animals make their own, but and actually from if they're being fed raw food, uh, the meat actually has uh, uh, some digestive enzyme in it. Um, so a lot of animals don't need any more than that, but actually some 
does it does turn out that they they it helps them a little bit more if they're given digestive enzymes as well. So it, it may, they might be like us, where as they get older, they're just producing less and might need a little bit of help. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's true, true. Yeah. That, that makes sense. So while we're talking about digestion, we recently did a, a parasite cleanse for my cat. She'd never done one and she was throwing up a lot. And um, that actually helped her. And not only did she stop throwing up, but she's slightly less cranky, although Oliver could tell us right now that she's pretty cranky because she doesn't like him. And uh, recently it gave him a scratch in his eye. But um you, you know, do you see parasites and worms and stuff a lot in animals? Um, it's um, off and on. I mean, actually, um, as it turns out, most puppies and kittens um, have them. And um, the, the worms we see in our area uh, primarily are um, uh, the intestinal worms turn out to be roundworms or tapeworms. Um, uh, animals that hunt, like cats that hunt, um, uh, will pick up tapeworms pretty readily. Um, and otherwise, with the roundworms, those are more common in, in young animals, but um, sometimes we'll see them in, in adults as well. So, you know, it just depends on how they're doing. We don't, uh, we don't deworm animals, um, uh, you know, monthly or anything like that. I think it's, it's not necessary to do it that often, and I don't like giving them that yeah. much in the form of chemicals and things. But, you know, we kind of, uh, for adults, go case by case. Yeah, uh, it, it it made a big difference for her, so I'm glad we looked at that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we're, we're talking about um, digestion, of course, our, um, is there something that's normal with our animals' poop? Like, should they be going, you know, once or twice a day like us? Yes, it's um, probably um, two to three times is pretty normal for dogs and cats. Their digestive tracts are much shorter than ours, actually. Um, okay. So, yeah, um, so probably two to three is pretty normal. Up to four is okay. Anything more than that is, yeah, is a little bit abnormal. Okay. Um, you know, I, I, digestion is our always the first thing to look at. So um, we've talked about that. We're going to take a, a quick break. We're talking today with uh, Dr. Wanda Vockeroth. She is actually the a holistic vet, and she's the vet to Oliver, who is my co-host with every show. He's with us today, and he's listening. He's pretty excited because he knows uh, Dr. Wanda's voice. So um, he he's uh, looking around, wondering where she is, because he just saw her uh, a few weeks ago. So um we're going to be back shortly. If you have any questions, you can call in or you can send us an email at anantacalgary at gmail.com. We'll be back. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Step by step, you made it through the journey of pregnancy. Now your baby is in your arms and you're on the cusp of a new journey, breastfeeding. As a new parent, you receive a lot of advice, much of it conflicting, some of it outdated. Tune into Born to be Breastfed with host Marie Biancuzo to bust through the myths about feeding your baby. Marie and her guests will help you figure out what you can expect and put you on the best and surest path on your breastfeeding journey. Listen every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. 
Tune in every Tuesday for C. diff, spores, and more with hosts Nancy Kerala and Dr. Chandra Bali Ghosh. Our program is to provide information about C. diff, healthcare-associated infections, and more. Nancy is a C. diff survivor, healthcare professional, and the founder and executive director of the C. diff Foundation. And Dr. Ghosh is the chairperson of research and development for the C. diff Foundation. Together with their guests, we'll explore infection prevention, treatments, environmental safety, and more. Listen every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Follow us on Twitter at Voice America TRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. You are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Falling Through the Cracks. I'm your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. And today we're talking with uh, Dr. Wanda Vokroth. She is actually the vet to Oliver. And if you follow me on social media, you've seen Oliver sitting with me during my recordings. He actually insists on being on my lap during the recordings and he sits the whole time. So he's become a very wise dog listening to all these shows. Um, so <laughs> Dr. Wanda, um, you know, you do a lot of different therapies and I know osteopathy is one of yours. Uh, one of, you know, the main ones I see you do that every time we go in, you give them all a check over. Um, what exactly is that and what does it do for them? Uh, well, um, osteopathy is actually sort of a uh, form of very gentle manipulative well, manipulation, um, which um, can uh, do quite a bit to relieve um, tension in the muscles and, and ligaments and um, even in, in the joints, for that matter. Um, most of it, actually, osteopathy overall, it's kind of um, uh, different in different uh, countries. Um, but in Europe, where it, is, it kind of has its main... Um, a lot of people use it more or less. Um, it actually is uh, really around very uh, gentle and subtle manipulation techniques to just help release the the tensions in your in your body. And actually, it can um, also um, uh, be used for for some um, organ problems, uh, for even like scarring after surgeries and things like that. And they call that um, visceral manipulation. Um, so okay. yeah, so and it's been used in people for almost 200 years now, but just more recently, it's become something that um, veterinarians are starting to learn. Well, it, you know, it was really interesting when you did it to my cat. She is a, a little bit bow-legged, and um, afterwards was she was about I don't know eight at the time, and she does go outside, and she actually caught her first mouse <laughs> about that that week, and I, I think that she was able to like jump and lunge better because I noticed she was jumping off the furniture a little easier than she ever had, although she doesn't like limp and pain or anything like that. I think it, it made her uh, more comfortable and made things better for her. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's pretty common actually. See yeah. animals just be able to you know move and. And uh, as you say, jump and stretch better. Yeah. So, it, um, I, I mean, I think we all need a little bit of help. So it's nice the animals are getting that too. Mm-hmm. Um, what What is cranial sacral? 
Um, it's actually osteopathy and craniosacral therapy are are somewhat related, and um, it's almost like um, osteopathy is almost like an uh, the the main you know kind of uh, umbrella, and then under that. Um, when, when, well, basically, I'll, I'll put it this way. When I was, when I took my osteopathy course, we actually learned things that were kind of like chiropractic techniques, and everybody, you know, pretty much knows what chiropractic is, where you actually get, you know, manipulations of your of the joints themselves. Um, and so we did learn about that. We also learned um, these craniosacral or craniosacral techniques, and craniosacral therapies actually uh, really started around. Um, uh, the fact that the turns out the bones of the skull aren't actually fused. They um, even you know babies obviously they're not fused because the skull has to grow. And there's these little um, joints called sutures uh, between the bones. Well, we used to think that when you became an adult, your bones all fused, but it turns out that they don't. They actually still move a little bit, and they can actually become kind of stuck or jammed together, especially if you hit your head or something like that. And so um, originally, once that was discovered, then they decided to see if there was ways of relieving that tension and realized there's actually um, uh, a rhythm in the fluid in the head. It's called the craniosacral fluid, and if you uh, kind of follow the rhythm, and you can use you can actually um, use that to help um, uh, basically um, uh, relieve things like the tensions between the bones. It, you know, it's a little sounds a little odd, but it's almost like um, you you get very subtle touch. Um, you can feel those, those um, rhythms, and um, by doing that, sometimes the rhythms are disturbed, and you can almost like gently manipulate them, and then that actually helps the tensions in the in the bones. And then they discovered it wasn't only the tensions in the bones that you could help, but it was into other other tissues of the body and other um, bones as well, uh, including the sacrum, which is the big bone um, uh, right at the end of your spine, um, uh, basically you kind of sit on. So anyway, um, uh, overall it turned out, and then you know more and more um, uh, people or therapists started using these techniques and discovering, you know. Um, kind of developing them and discovering other ways to use them. And then that's um, almost branched out into some of these other techniques that are used in osteopathy as well. So, it, it, like I say, they're all kind of interconnected, but the craniosacral itself is a very, very subtle um, touch, and, um, you know, you, you animals actually accept it really nicely just because there's not any really force involved with it. So what changes do you see when you're using it? Um, I... Basically, they're, you know, again, it, it, in most cases, pretty subtle, but a lot of times when I use the craniosacral, it, it really is um, on um, problems in the, in the you know, uh, head and neck area. Um, and, for instance, um, well, I'll give an example. Just um, uh, about a month before Christmas, I um, had one of my clients uh, who brings her pets to me, but she, fo- she fosters dogs as well from the rescue organizations. And she um, brought in um, a dog that um, uh, was about nine months old, a little female. And she, um, well, when she came, she had two broken legs and actually a fracture in her skull. But she was pretty alert and so mm-hmm. forth. They decided to see what they could do to help her out and fixed her legs, and they were fine. But then she started to have seizures. And so she was already on um, two medications, and yet she was still seizuring. So um, I started to check her out, and I realized that there was a lot of compression in her skull. In fact, her cheekbones, they call them the um, zygomatic bones, were actually um, crooked. And so I decided to try and use the craniosacral technique and to see if I could 
help relieve some tension. And sure enough, um, there was some changes. And after, and this dog sat very quietly while I was doing that. And so it took about 10 minutes. And then after that, she was like, well, I think I'm done now. And it felt (laughs) like she (laughs) kind of moved through what she needed to. And so when I rechecked the, the, her, uh, uh, cheekbones, they were now even. So there had been quite a bit of, of subtle shifting. And actually, um, then she came, well, uh, I asked her to come back a month later, and she came back. The dog had not had any more seizures, where she was actually having at least three per week before that. So mm-hmm. it actually made quite a change in her. Yeah, that's a pretty powerful story. And the lucky dog <laughs> that they found you. Um, I, you know, nobody wants to have seizures. And, and, you know, you just did this little treatment. And uh, that's pretty amazing, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, the, one of the other things you do is um, homeop- homeopathy. And how do you use that with animals? I, I always find homeopathy, I've taken courses, and I have some, um, I'm a herbalist at heart, so I have some trouble with it. But how, how do you figure the animals out with that? Well, uh, uh, to start with, in case, you know, well, maybe your, your <laughs> listeners already know this, but I'll quickly say that homeopathic remedies are actually made using herbs and minerals and things like that. Um, but what they do is they take the, a little um, uh, measured amount of that, grind it up, and then dilute it with a certain amount of water. But then they actually start to do a, a special kind of mixing called succussing and diluting of this, um, of this herb until eventually there's basically none of the original thing left. But then it works on a sort of an energetic level in the body. And so um, the way you, you pick them is by, they say, like cures like. So, for instance... Um, if you have an animal that's got, you know, vomiting and diarrhea, you would actually look for remedy that originally would have caused that. But now, because it's in a different form, it, it can actually give the body a subtle uh, push to almost kind of uh, get itself back into balance. And so, um, again, um, uh, they say like cures like. So what we do is we look at the symptoms of that, that the animal's showing and then try and match up a remedy uh, that's going to work, and then that's given orally. Um, it is a bit more of a challenge in animals than people because a lot of the symptoms, you know, a dog can't say, well, you know, I have a real kind of a weird pain in my lower abdomen. So you have to just go on what the owner observes and what I observe when I'm seeing the pets. And so it can be a little bit trickier to find a remedy, but in some cases it um, it can be fairly, fairly obvious. And uh, I've seen it make quite a difference. And that's interesting because, of course, animals can't think that they're getting something that's going to make them better, and then they feel better because of that. So yeah, so there's no placebo effect with the animals. Exactly. Yeah. yeah so which is, which is interesting. I mean, the reason why I came to you was for my cat, and we did you know a year of homeopathics, and um, you know her issue finally resolved, and not you know it was a, an obscure thing, but um, you know it helped um, her. Overall, she's a pretty uh, grumpy thing, but I think her demeanor <laughs> changed. She'll always be a little grumpy, especially with all of her around. But um, her demeanor changed a little bit, which was, um, you know, nice. I think it must have given her relief because when we're grumpy, I think we're grumpy for a reason, mm-hmm. uncomfortable for a reason. So I found those um, really helpful. Now, you use the, um, the Bach flowers as well. And you do those on a different, like, maybe just explain what those are. They're a little different, I think. Yes. So, yeah. so um, Bach flowers were actually originally um, uh, uh, discovered by a fellow named Dr. Batch, Edward Batch, who was from, um, or Bach, I guess, who was from England. Um, they're used for people, and they're actually uh, made from um, 
uh, flowers, like the flowers of different trees and plants. And um, what he would do is um, pick the flowers and then actually um, soak them in alcohol, get the essence of them that way. And then uh, that would be the basis of the, of the remedy itself. And um, so then what you do is take that and actually um, dilute it, like put it in, for instance, um, a few drops in a glass of water, and then that is the remedy. Is, you know, basically diluted is how it works. And they're actually originally um, meant uh, primarily for um, sort of emotional problems, anxieties, and, you know, uh, sadness and uh, various things like that. But they actually can also help um, in some cases with some chronic illnesses and so forth as well. And so I use them a lot for animals that have um, anxiety issues. Again, if there's been some kind of a, you know, loss in the, in the house, another pet or something like that, um, but also as support um, when they're um, coming through a chronic illness or, you know, maybe after uh, trauma or surgery or something like that. Yeah, Oliver has a, a lot of separation anxiety just because he was adopted as a by me as an older dog. And um, that, you know, I think that's hard to um, change owners. And he, he's happy now and it's getting better. But what would you recommend for separation anxiety? Um, well, um, back flowers actually can be um, fairly useful. And how I normally um, uh, pick them is actually have the owners themselves pick them because um, there are um, 38 different back flowers, and they all have uh, their own, you know, characteristics. So what we do is um, uh, we've developed a kind of a handout that has all these um, uh, written down. And what I, have, uh, what I do is have the owner take it home, and go through it and see which ones uh, fit their pet because obviously they know their pet the best. And then they'll usually pick out six or seven of these and um, we carry them. So then we uh, have people call in and we make up the remedy and they can take it, take it off home and, and try it out. So um, back flowers are helpful. Again, sometimes um, homeopathic remedies. Um, but there are a number of different things. There's, um, uh, there's something called Adaptal, which is actually a kind of a pheromone. Um, spray that you can use, um, which is a calming spray. It's actually made from um, a substance that, that mother dogs produce um, from their skin when their puppies are, are nursing. And, uh, well, they discovered um, what, you know, that that happened. They discovered the, the biochemical um, uh, properties of that, and they figured out how to actually make it artificially. And it's, it can be quite helpful, actually. So um, those things, and sorry? You, well, you recommended something similar when I first got Oliver for the cat because mm-hmm. she was having uh, some adjustment issues. Right. And I got yeah. I got her one of those collars, and I, I swear she looked like she was stoned when I first put it on her. <laughs> so <laughs> Really so, calmed her down. <laughs> yeah, she was a, a, little, a little different that day. <laughs> and it wore off eventually, you know, it went to wear off a little bit. But um, I think it helped her. I went through two of them um, as she was adjusting to Oliver being around, and oh, it God. was a little easier for her. Um, we're going to take a quick break. We're speaking today with Dr. Wanda Vakaroth. She is the vet to Oliver, who, if you follow me on social media, you know, is my co-host. He sits with me listening to every show and he's listening today and very excited to share um, his doctor with you today. So we're going to be back shortly. If you have any questions, feel free to e- email us at anantacalgary at gmail.com or message us on Facebook or Twitter. We'd love to hear your comments. We'll be back shortly. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. What causes us to be sick? 
We're not talking about the actual illness or the scientific cause of illnesses. We're talking about your body and health. Listen for the healing whisper of Return to Peace. Each week, host Dr. Marianne Chase shows you how to listen to your heart to identify poor health, stress, and disease. You'll learn how to heal energetically and spiritually, as well as physically. It's time to depend less on the drugs and more on the heart. The Healing Whisper airs live every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health & Wellness. On Therapeutic Approach to Growth, host Brooke Wagner showcases topics and experts that are of interest to the special needs community. You'll learn about advances in treatment, challenges, and solutions, as well as how to build and maintain trusting relationships with these amazing individuals who can teach us so much about ourselves in ways we never knew. Tune in to Therapeutic Approach to Growth live every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Falling Through the Cracks. I'm your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. And I'm here today with Dr. Wanda Vakaroth, and she is the vet to my co-host, Oliver. Oliver sits with me for every show, and um, if you haven't seen him on social media, find us on Facebook, and you can see some of his cute pictures. He insists on being on my lap. He's with us today, and he's listening intently, and he's so happy that you guys are all listening to find out how you can help your own uh, furry friends at home. So, uh, Dr. Wanda, um, one thing, of course, um, that's always a concern for me is, um, you know, ticks. Um, I had a cat that did get Lyme disease uh, from ticks in our backyard. And, um, you know, that was before Lyme was, um, it was actually the month that I was waiting for my Lyme test to come back. So I hadn't done anything to prevent, um, you know, ticks or anything like that for them. What do you recommend for people for that? Well, um, there are some various options um, in areas where it's maybe, well, not quite as, as um, uh, prevalent as others. There are natural remedies that you can use um, to basically put on, on, you know, topically on the on the body to help repel ticks. It's really important to um, just examine your pets ideally every day and, you know, just make sure that there aren't any ticks there. Um, does take a little bit of time for them to transfer the Lyme. I mean, I'm sure your listeners know all about Lyme disease or quite a bit about it anyway. But yeah, so just making sure you're you're examining them, taking anything like that off that you find. Um, And and there are some, well, homeopathic remedies that actually can help um, pets as well. Uh, Well, basically, if, you know, if it turns out they do pick up Lyme disease, but it's still, you know, again, fairly new to the population of Alberta, at least the, the um, realization that it's around. So what, I'm, what I do, uh, I think one of my, my most important duties is to just tell all my clients when they come in that, you know, this is something that's a definite possibility now. 
Well, I think that it, well, in Alberta, um, Lyme was first found here by a vet who found it on a dog. Um, and, uh, and then that's when they realized, um, that they had to start doing studies. So there's a study now in progress to find out how prevalent it is. Um, so hopefully it's not as bad as we want, but, um, halfway through the study, they did say it was one out of every four ticks. Mm. So, so it's, um, probably a little more than we think, but. Yeah, well. Um, well, you know, we don't know yet. We'll find out, I suppose. But it's uh, it's good to know there's something that we can do and we have to be aware um, for our animals' sake because they can get Lyme as well. So, um, you know, one thing as well that's really common as our, our pets get older um, is, of course, pain, arthritis, joint issues. Uh, what do you recommend for that? Uh, you're right, really common and so if I can actually start by trying to have their have owners um, do some prevention so um, uh, for dogs particularly um, especially the big ones and active ones even around five or six years of age if I can I'll start having people um, use um, uh, essential well uh, essential fatty acids like omega fatty acids such as um, you know krill or salmon oil in their diets because the, those are um, quite useful for um, protecting the joints as well as helping with skin and other, other parts of the body. Um, and then also uh, starting on some kind of a joint supplement. And uh, I do find that uh, the uh, glucosamine and MSM combination is really um, quite helpful in, in most cases. Um, and then as they get older and if, you know, start to have the issues, uh, definitely if they haven't already done it to use those um, there are other ones as well, and so you know if, if we we uh, measure or just have the owners watch and see how much uh, those supplements are helping, and if they don't seem to be helping enough, then we may add you know different supplements in or try other ones such as green lip muscle extract or something called cetal meristolate. These are all um, supplements that actually um, do help with uh, joint inflammation and um, help the joint fluids and things like that. So, so you're saying around, sorry, around age six to start doing that, or even sooner, I suppose. I mean, mm-hmm. all those things that could be just good overall. Yeah, and then and then good diets, and you know, again, um, so many animals turn out that they actually have um, either uh, very strong or else very mild uh, reactions to things like wheat and corn and so forth, like the gluten sort of problem. And so um, if I can, I'll, if the animals are still on those sorts of foods, get them to change into something else. Because even those, if, it, if there's inflammation uh, in their body, it'll affect the joints. And if you can change your diet and decrease the inflammation, it'll help the joints as well. So, um, the, I mean, one of the main things when, when I got Oliver, I mean, he had a lot of problems when I got him. But he, he used to choke. He said that it was his trachea and... and um, to put him on some similar things to what you just mentioned because it's um, very similar to the joints. And I actually didn't have to. Um, I, um, you know, he had to undergo surgery and get infection out of his mouth. And then by changing his diet, he stopped choking as dramatically as he used to, used to choke all the time. And, um, you know, that was such a big difference just to change his diet and, um, you know, get him as healthy as, as I could without, I, I wanted to see without supplementing how he would do. And he's, um, doing way better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. amazing. Kind of yeah. Differences that can go, it can happen. 
Yeah. Um, so, I mean, one of the main things when Oliver did come to me, um, so he was a KGG rescue, and um, I was told he had just been to the vet, but after I took him, it was obvious he hadn't been. And when you took him over, his uh, his teeth weren't doing very well, and he lost 23 of them. And, uh, you know, that, that major infection um, was causing him a lot of health problems. But, of course, um, w- there must be things that could have been done if he had had better care to prevent him losing so many teeth. So what do you recommend for people for that? Um, if possible, start them as uh, when they're puppies and, and brush their teeth. I mean, brushing teeth is, is really can do um, as much good as, <clears throat> for pets as it can for people. Unfortunately, even starting as puppies, a lot of um, dogs and cats are pretty resistant to that process. And also it takes a lot, quite a lot of dedication because you really need to do it um, either every one or two days to actually keep the tartar from forming. Um, another thing that um, actually can help a lot is having the dog, having especially the dog, the dogs chewing on um, some kind of uh, fairly hard, um, you know, uh, toy or something like that. In fact, the thing that seems to work the best is having them under supervision, chewing on on uh, actual bones for fifteen or twenty minutes every. Uh, uh, two or th- probably three times a week is good. Um, there are, you know, some things you have to watch for with that, including that they don't chip teeth and also that they, um, you know, aren't um, chewing pieces off the bone and, and swallowing them kind of thing. But um, most dogs are, once you know, they, they have tried it once or twice, they get pretty smart about the, the chips of bone. And I really see that dogs keep their teeth cleaner longer and therefore need less dentals and, um, you know, just overall, their 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 mouth, the health of their mouth is better. Uh, which is important. No one wants to lose. He only has five teeth on the top, so he actually can't chew on those bones anymore. He tries, um, but he usually just licks them because he can't yeah. get that. You know, and and I'm sure if he'd had better care, he wouldn't be in that situation. But um, he does what he can. He's pretty smart. <laughs> so, yep. Um, yeah, that's the problem when they get to the point where the teeth have to be taken out. Then, yeah. You know, so yeah. it's possible start them when they're when they're younger and the teeth are better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which is what this kind of care is all about: is preventing these major issues going on. Which is also what I try to do for my patients: is right. don't don't get a disease, don't get don't go down that road. Take care of yourself and take care of your animals so that you know you live longer and healthier and happier. Exactly. Um, so I know allergies are really common. We've talked about food allergies, but I know, uh, you know, dogs and cats can get um, other types of allergies. What do you do to help them with that? Uh, so there are actually a whole number of different things that can help out. And, um, yeah, you know, at least I would say probably 60% of the pets that come to me with chronic allergy problems, there is some involvement with diet. So that's the first thing we, we deal with. And after that, um, some of the other options uh, that can help, um, uh, basically, it's to de- decrease the inflammation in the body and balance the, the uh, immune system so that it's not quite as reactive to the, thing, the environmental things that are bothering the, the pet. Um, so we use um, uh, acupuncture, um, Chinese or Western herbs. There's other supplements that are, um, for instance, um, antioxidant supplements um, that can help. And also, in some of the cases, we'll work with, with homeopathic remedies, uh, which basically just, um, again, helping to balance the pet system. And then they just handle things better. 
And again, I'm sure um, you're, you know, a lot of your listeners know about this, but a lot of, of uh, the problem tends to be where there's um, tox buildup of toxins in the system. So if we can, we're also helping to uh, detoxify the body a little bit. Which is important for everybody. I mean, they're exposed to the same things we are in our environment, the pollution and, and you know, uh, whether we paint or renovate our house or that kind of thing. And they probably have the same, you know, issues we do dealing with them. So, yeah. And they're walking imagine. around and, and yeah. all, all over the place in the, you know, residues and things like that and getting them absorbed that way too, which is, you know, yeah. hard, to, hard to stop. Yeah, they don't have that idea that they shouldn't be doing that mm-hmm. yeah. when I painted my house I think Oliver ended up with all the colors on him because he kept you know brushing against mm-hmm. walls and stuff so right. he was yellow and blue and you know white <laughs> and all of everything that uh, was pretty funny actually I, I don't know how he got it on his whiskers but um, he must have been sniffing something <laughs> Um, so I know one thing that people are always concerned about as their animal gets older is when they get cancer, which is pretty scary, whether you're, it's your animal or you. Um, is there anything you can do to help with that? Uh, pretty much a lot of the same things. There's a um, uh, number of supplements and herbs that actually can help, um, first off, to um, help the body, uh, you know, control spread of cancer or you know, ideally even kill off the cells. Um, and then um, also uh, there's different homeopathic regimes. There's um, uh, basic, well a couple that we use that are kind of adapted from people. One's the Ramakrishnan protocol. Another one's um, called um, well various protocols actually. But and then um, some uh, uh, East Indian homeopaths that um, uh, their last name is Benerji, and they've actually developed some different things. So veterinarians have kind of adapted that for animals and. I've had um, some uh, quite good results using those sorts of things. Um, and then, um, well, again, diet, because um, cancer cells, um, there's research showing that their main uh, source of fuel is carbohydrates. So basically um, cutting back the carbohydrates and making sure they're on very, you know, uh, good good uh, nutrients in their diets. Um, so the, that's the main main things that we use um, and, and you know sometimes it's just to, uh, to support the animal through um, surgeries and things like that as well but you know whatever it's sort of an individual uh, call for each pet yeah I mean cancer is different for every situation so whether it's uh, um, they're just having surgery or do they go through chemotherapy as well mm-hmm. yep it's, um, there's yeah. actually a couple of clinics in Calgary that have um veterinary oncologists and that can offer that sort of thing for pets as well yeah and that's never easy for anybody so i can imagine not so easy for them either so any kind of support is helpful now one of the um reasons why i actually i sought you out was because my mom who lived in a different city her cat had she had a thyroid and kidney issues at the same time and um she's actually given it probably about a month to live with that combination and she wasn't doing very well she's pretty uncomfortable and so my mom found somebody who did homeopathics and i believe the cat lived over a year past that um, maybe two. I should have checked um, with her. But, um, you know, it, it was pretty amazing because the vet said, you know, 
originally this, you know, this cat has no time. And um, she was pretty spry. She was running around and, and, you know, she kind of has some bad times. And I, I think it's pretty amazing that we can, um, you know, it was more about making her comfortable at the time. Um, you know, and they didn't think it would extend her life. They just wanted her not to suffer. And, um, it was, it was amazing. And, and I know that, you know, thyroid issues are really common with cats. Do you do something similar for them? Yes. And it's, um, usually, um, again, back to diet. Um, uh, but with, with, uh, thyroid, it, they, it turns out that, um, cats that have hyperthyroidism actually have developed um, benign tumors in their thyroid glands that produce more um, thyroid hormone than they need, but um, they're they're pretty hard to actually you know eradicate. But there are ways of dealing with it so that the um, they're not producing quite as much thyroid hormone um, for quite a period of time. So homeopathic remedies and herbs are actually quite helpful for that. Well, that's pretty interesting because I mean it wasn't mentioned at the time, but it it you know it makes sense that the thyroid's just not. Um, it's not working, right? Mm-hmm. So um, now diabetes is quite common as well. Um, I've heard of some people giving their animals insulin shots as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's actually very common in cats and, and quite common in dogs as well. Um, and in cats, the interesting thing is that if uh, turn, there, there's research now that shows uh, that um, probably if you catch it quite early, um, 70% of cats uh, with diabetes will will um, go into remission from that, like go, just go back to normal if you, if you change their diet and to, um, onto a low-carbohydrate diet. The cats just don't ha- handle the carbohydrates very well. And so mm-hmm. the you know, grain-free diets and things like that or, or um, non-processed diets. But um, uh, in cats that turn, you know, their, their pancreas is just too weak and they need the insulin, then uh, certainly herbs for sure can help them and also um, uh, homeopathics can help. I actually had a cat that was diabetic for six years and um, his insulin requirement went down from, um, well, 10 units down to two after I started him on some herbs. Wow, that's pretty amazing <laughs> um, to, to hear that. Um, so now with talking about all of this, is there any signs um, that people need to look at with their pets that they, you know, that their animal needs to go in to see a vet? What are the things they look out for? Um, well, basically, any changes in uh, energy or uh, activity or attitude. So, you know, if they start becoming uh, lethargic um, or hiding or anything like that. Um, or, um, as with the cats of thyroid, if they start to actually start to uh, uh, be almost more hyperactive or restless, um, uh, you know, in their in their behavior. Um, so any changes like that. Also, if they their weight changes, either they uh, start losing weight or gain more weight than they should, even though their diet hasn't changed. Um, that you can see with actually uh, low thyroid in in dogs. Um, so those sorts of things as well. And then um, certainly if they start um, uh, eating less, you know, just their appetite uh, decreases. If they start drinking excessively. Um, and then also for uh, urinating and, and stool, if those uh, changes, uh, or those change, I should say, then those are all signs that there's something going on and um, you know, the pet should probably be checked over. Okay. And how often should just a regular checkup be? Like a, a year, is it every year or six months? Or 
Um, for animals that are young and, you know, uh, middle-aged, once a year is okay, um, uh, bearing in mind that, you know, with the, uh, how the length of pets' lives, I always you know, tell people one year for a pet is like five years for a person, so for sure they should be checked every year. For the older pets that are, uh, you know, now seniors, nine, ten years and up, it's not a bad idea to have them checked every six months. And that's just because, again, more things can start to change and go wrong in their bodies um, as they get older. And it's still, you know, relatively like a couple of years in that case between between their their checkups, right? Yeah. And as as you said, if you catch things early, you can, you know, control them more and prevent them from getting worse. Just like if somebody had uh, cared for Oliver a little better, he probably would have more of his his teeth. <laughs> Exactly. So um, now, is there a way that anybody can get a hold of you if they have any questions or want an appointment? Uh, yes, I work in um, Calgary in the South End, um, and it's Millrise area, and um, I work at the Little Creek Vet- Veterinary Clinic. And okay, that that's great. So, um, do you have the phone number or the email for there? Um, yeah, the phone number is here. It's four zero three four five two two zero six zero. Okay, great. So um, we were talking today. Uh, well, Dr. Wanda, I want to uh, thank you for coming on the show. And Oliver thanks you. is really happy that you were able to uh, tell everybody how to help their little furry friends at home. Um, so thank you. It was my pleasure. Thanks, thanks, Rebecca. That was great. So everybody, today we were talking with Dr. Wanda Vakaroff. Um, she is the vet to Oliver, who is my co-host for every show. He sits on my lap and listens intently to everything we're saying. And he wants to thank you for uh, sharing this show. And I was really excited that you got to hear um, his vet speak. If you have any questions about the show, you can contact us on Facebook or Twitter um, or send us an email at anantacalgary at gmail.com. Make today a great day. Thanks for listening. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Please join Dr. Rebecca Risk again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk more next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.